Well, for those of you who are on Zoom for the first time, my name is Jerome Hebert, and Pastor Nathan asked me to fill in for him today. He approached me five weeks ago, and I was fervently in prayer. And the more you read the word, the more that you want to unload. And I'm pleading with the Lord, Lord, I want to do something with your word. Two days later, Pastor Nathan asked me, hey, you want to preach? You bet I do. So here I am. Here I am. I said, I'm not going to let this opportunity go. But before we get started, I want to bestow a blessing on all of you before we get started. I want the Holy Spirit to really come upon you. So may the intensity of the Holy Spirit increase in each of you. Though you may not remember the entire sermon, that whatever daily bread you receive, be sure to lay hold of it like the Lord has laid hold of you. Whether you know it or don't feel it, he has a hold of you. And in the meantime, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him, through him, God the Father who is in heaven. Let that blessing permeate into you. You know why? Because it's the word of God created in the image, we created in the image of God. I'll tell you, there, there, there's an excitement within my soul that I've just been wanting to unload this message, and I'm happy the day has come. <laughs> I will admit, I'm a little nervous, but the, the excitement within me overwhelms that, because if the Lord fed me, I want the Lord to feed you through me. So what he has placed upon my heart, that you may be encouraged, challenged, be delivered, whatever the Lord lays on my heart, and however you receive the daily bread, may he be glorified in all of you. In Jesus' name, the wonderful name, the only name by which man can be saved by. Amen? Absolutely. Well, believe it or not, it's been 11 months ago before, since I've preached a message to you. I said, 11 months? Where did the time go? Well, we're going to get back into the life of Elijah again. But we're not going to read all the chapters about Elijah because we won't have time. You people got to work tomorrow. So anyways, I'm going to just keep, bring you up to speed in regards to what, who Elijah is. Elijah was a Tishbite from the area of Gilead. The Lord God chose him to become a prophet to go confront Ahab, the king of Israel, who was the seventh king of Israel at the time, and he was the most wicked king that they've had thus far. But he was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel, who she kept the nation of Israel and Ahab under her thumb. She was the controller in this marriage relationship. She brought in the false god of Baal into the nation of Israel, and she, with her being controlling, the, worship, the nation of Israel was worshiping the false god of Baal. 
In the meantime, Elijah was chosen to go confront Ahab. He says, hey, you need to get this nation back under the authority of God. Of course, he just kind of just shoved it off. He didn't want to have anything to do with Elijah. Because the conviction was too strong, he knew Elijah was right, but the Elijah, he was the prophet that was chosen by God to, uh, uh, to work many miracles through Elijah, prostrating himself over a little boy who passed away, who encouraged the, the widow um, that she will never run out of food again until it would rain again, uh, how he encouraged Obadiah. Um, they say, hey, don't be fearful of Ahab. He, he's, he, he's a clown. He's not, uh, he's not as uh, fearful as you think he is. But the final contest that Elijah had was confronting the 450 prophets of Baal to stand on behalf of the Lord as a mouthpiece. He's the only prophet, the last prophet, and they had slain all the other prophets that um, he, uh, he, the contest was he stood on behalf of the Lord and to show that who the true God was. The false prophets of Baal, they had all day long to try to bring their false God, but they never, he never showed up. The true God does. So what happened was, is that when the false prophets realized who the true God was, they admitted, oh, he's the true God, he's the true God. Elijah did not buy their hypocrisy, and he had slain every single 450 of them. Well, Ahab goes and tail, becomes a talebearer towards Jezebel, saying, hey, guess what Elijah did to all your prophets? He killed them today. Is that so? She sends a messenger to, a, uh, to Elijah and says, hey, Jezebel's going to do the same thing to you tomorrow at the same time. Elijah became fearful, and he ran for his life. 24 hours later, he ends up at a juniper tree, and now he's venting all his emotional agony to the Lord. He says, I can't do this anymore. I've had enough. I'm no better than my forefathers. Will you just take my life and let's just get this over with? Now he's probably experiencing PTSD. He had just slain 450 50 prophets. Okay? At the same time, Jezebel... She's furious. She has a very high level of vengeance. She's real, she realizes she's been had by Elijah, and Elijah is nowhere to be seen. He left the city. What a tremendous head start that is. Stop and think about it. The head start that he had. I'm going to share with you in a few minutes on how the Lord's hand is in this. The more you dig into the scriptures, you just, I'm just saying, oh, wow, look at that. Look at that, you know? And so I just get so excited. I said, well, is, God, is the God, God's hand in this or what? If Jezebel is similar, it's just like the Pharaoh of Egypt who had sent a posse to chase the Israelites when they were, they were at the Red Sea, Jezebel is going to do the same thing. You can imagine her orchestrating her own posse, and she's in the business of, 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 of sending threats. You can imagine the chaos that's taken place within the posse. See, even though I don't see it in scripture, but you have to visualize, yeah, what is taking place? This is what's taking place. Example, parents, are you gonna allow your children to get away with unrighteousness? Of course not, you're gonna correct that. On the other side of the coin, you think Jezebel's gonna let Elijah to get away with what she, he did to all her prophets? Absolutely not. So here's, here's the situation. This is the advantage of how the Lord God's hand is in all this. How he pays attention to detail. 
if Elijah covered 20 miles in one direction, but in a 24-hour time frame, and if the posse, they have 20, 21,600 different directions to choose from, because there's 360 degrees in a circle, 60 minutes in a second, I didn't, or in a, in a degree, I didn't get into the seconds. There's 21,600 opportunity or possibilities that they can find, no, I'm sorry, one out of 21,600 possibilities that they'll find Elijah. That's advantage number one, okay? They'll never find him. That's approximately, approximately 314 square miles that they have to search. Here's the other advantage. It's a heavenly advantage. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, and he will have the wicked in derision. Why? Because I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord said unto me, Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. You ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. What a tremendous advantage. The Lord laughs. He's got a good sense of humor. Where else is the Lord's hand involved in this? Psalm 139, verse 4. Even before there is a word upon your tongue, he knows it all. He knew Jezebel was going to send the threat. And you know what? God knew that his mission was completed with Ahab. Okay, time for you to leave. He allowed the threat to take place so it could send him off running. I said, wow, what an awesome plan. He also knew that he was going to vent his emotional agony in the presence of God. <laughs> is that all knowing or what? It's such an encouragement to know that God's hand is, all, is in all this. Now, the posse is in chaos. They are probably frantic, too, because if Jezebel is in the business of, of breathing threats, she may have said to the posse, you better capture him or else. You can imagine what could wait them. If the posse took off, if I was in that posse, I ain't coming back. <laughs> Would you come back? <laughs> I think I'd keep running. I'd go to the other countryside. So now, Elijah's at the juniper tree. And I visualize the Lord. He looks down. He sees the posse. Okay, I'm going to let them deal with their own dysfunction. I'm done with them. Ah, and now we've got to find out what's going to happen in the next phase. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Horeb is an alternative name for Mount Sinai. Does that, sound, does that place sound familiar to you? Of course it does. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, 
the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Forty days, forty nights on a run. Another intervention of God's hand. Sometimes we don't, we're journeying through life. It's, where's God's hand in all this? Suppose the posse was on his trail. You realize the amount of food and water supplies they have to carry with them to, to go that distance? Not only that, they have to stop at the end of the day, camp out, spend the night in the camp, and get up again. Talk about a head start. Elijah, 40 days, 40 nights, on a run. Uh-uh. But now there's another thing we have to take into consideration. Since the adversary cannot depend on his ground troops, he realized, Ugh. I'm not getting very far with the ground troops. I'm going to have to send airstrikes of every temptation and every affliction that I can possibly can in order to, to drag him down. That's why Elijah answered the question to the Lord, honestly, I have been zealous for the Lord. That's an honest confession. And the Lord honors those types of confessions. He honors, it. He honors that honesty. He answers it accurately. He not only lodges in the cage. In order, for, in order to lodge someplace, you have to enter it first and stay there for a while. And then it becomes, if you're going to stay there for a while, you're going to lodge there for a while. He, find the, he had to find a cave to hide. Really? Because now he's stricken with seven Ds. Deceit. Despair. Defeat. Discouragement. Depression being downtrodden, all based on the foundation of fear. Just one affliction, fear. You realize, you see the pile of afflictions that pile up just on the spirit of fear? You can picture the adversary, all right. Uh-uh. No worries, no worries. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Pretty amazing of who God is. Elijah's back is up against the wall in that cave. Just like the Israelites' back were up against the Red Sea when the posse was high in pursuit of them. What does Moses say in Exodus 13, 14? He says, do not be afraid. Stand by and watch the salvation of the Lord. What, for what he will accomplish for you today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today, now. Watch. We're encouraged to wait and pray, but the other element that's important is to watch. What does he continue to say? To the Egyptians who are in pursuit of you at this time with all these chariots, all the horsemen, you will never, ever see them again forever. The Lord your God will fight for you. So remain silent or stop complaining. Elijah's in the cave. Picture two million, trying to, try, try, try to picture yourself quieting approximately two million people. But Elijah, he was in the cave. You can imagine what was going through his mind. He was probably silent. But the only question that he probably asks, now what? Every airstrike of temptation and affliction coming at him. 
He's, go, he's spiraling down in a mood altered down state. What's the next tactic? Okay, well, 40 days and 40 nights without food, the same, the same tactic will be used on Elijah like he used on the Lord Jesus. Did the Lord Jesus fasten for, fast 40 days and 40 nights? And then if you look into detail, then he became hungry. That's what I'll use. I'll put the vessel under stress. I'll strain it. We all have experienced some involuntary hunger at times, haven't we? It's similar to like mom and dad going shopping all morning long. You're trying to find something and, you, and there's a frustration. Oh, I can't find what I want. You lose track of time. And, uh, it's approximately two hours after lunch and the silence is broken. Mommy, I'm hungry. Well, the first verse of scripture that's going to pop into mom's mind is Proverbs 15:23, right? A mom will have joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Daddy, I'm hungry too. Dad's verse of scripture is Proverbs 12, 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. Oh, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Both parents are probably praying in the spirit, oh Lord, help me to Help me to keep that silver sword of my tongue in its sheath and help me to pull the golden sword out, which is dripping with milk and honey and affection and understanding. <sighs> Sometimes that's not an easy test. Excuse me for a second. Hey, Elijah, ha have you considered 1 John chapter 5, verse 19? We know we are of God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one now. Yeah, I, I, know, I know we're of God, but I need more than that. I need something to eat. Yeah, you just went to McDonald's to have your appetite satisfied. There's a strong possibility that Elijah, he's in physical agony right now. Hunger, involuntary hunger, is a difficult thing to go through. We're encouraged to pray and fast. By the Lord. And so we have, we have our time with the Lord, our devotions. You know, Lord, I'm going to have, um, I'm going to take some time to, to pray and fast. And so that you can um, really deal with my heart. And I really want revelation. Well, that's all well and good. But you know, that's kind of fairly easy to do. Because we know we have the refrigerator in the kitchen. We can stop our fast anytime we want. But Elijah doesn't have the ravens or the angel of the Lord to give him food and drink. And neither is he near a brook to satisfy his thirst. Continues to spiral down. Big difference in voluntary hunger and fasting. Now he is, he's in the cave, reaching, reaching extremely hungry. And now he reflects back in the past of what he said at the juniper tree. Lord, take my life. Why don't I just walk out this cave and just strike me with the lightning bolt. Oh, wait a minute. I can't do that. The posse might be outside, my, outside, the, outside the cave. And I said, that's right. One chance out of 21,600 possibilities, they'll catch me. I ain't going out there. I'm all done with faith-filled risks. What is to become of my situation? I am stuck between a rock and a hard spot. Now what? more afflictions are on the way. H for hunger, 
A for anger. L for loneliness. He's all alone. In the cave. It's just the, the, the dirt, the wall of the cave, and the opening of the cave. That's all he's got. But yet, the thread that he has is that he knows he's of God. And when the soul of a man knows that he's of God, the Lord God is all ears. His attention, his undivided attention is on that individual. Elijah is his primary focus. Just like each of us is the Lord God, that we are his primary focus. A for anger. He's reflecting back now in the past of all the victories he had, the confrontations. He says, man, all the way from a hero down to a zero, man, some prophet I turned out to be. The Lord God should have chose someone else. I knew I was going to shame him. I knew I was going to let him down. I'm no good. What did I do to deserve it? And I'm doing this all wrong. I have no comrade at all. He's reflecting on the past. It continues to spiral him down emotionally. To what degree is this mental and emotional affliction that resides within his soul? Allow me to demonstrate. I want all of you to join me on this one. Take your right arm and extend it out like this. Close your left eye. Keep your right eye focused on me. Raise your pinky. And now bring, your, bring that pinky right up to your right eye. Now you should no longer be able to see me. Okay? Hold it. Hold it right there. Don't move. This is an opportunity for me to throw a snowball at you. And you will not know it's coming until it hits you. Okay, you can remove your pinkies. That's just the way the adversary works through our mental, our, our emotions. He will magnify them in size, size, and you will not see anything else that's coming. When this is this close, then this here has to be placed in the foreground, this in the background, and so this can stay put. For it is not by by brethren. It's not, for it is not by. Okay, I forgot that one. That's okay. So, so anyways, the point the point that I want to bring out to you is that sometimes our emotional affliction is so great that we can't see God's word as clear as we would like to. And some of the, sometimes we use the word "I don't feel like God's around." Well, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to say because. What you say is he's going to use it to his advantage if it's contrary to this here. So let's get back to the anger and the loneliness. He's reflecting in the past. What does it say in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 and 19? Do not call to mind the former things or ponder on the things of the past. Why? Because he wants to do something new. I will spring it forth. Not you, not you, not you, not me. He wants to spring it forth because he knows that we're not capable of doing it. It's all entirely up to him. Why aren't you aware of it? Well, maybe because 
this has become this, and now this has come out to here. You see? Why does he want to do it? Why does he want to do something new? Because he's the one that builds roadways in the wilderness, and he's the one that allows rivers to flow in the desert. That's, who he, that's what he wants to allow to come into the caves of our lives. He wants to get into the cave of Elijah. Do you remember what uh, Jason shared a few weeks ago and from Psalm 23, verse 5? For the Lord will prepare a table in the presence of my enemies and anoint my, um, my head with oil and his cup runneth over. The graces of God, he just doesn't want it to spill on the ground. He wants to spread it into the avenues of our hearts so that we can have that peace and that comfort and that strength and clarity so that we can walk courageously just like Elijah did. But the airstrikes continue to come. You see? However, as we journey along, there's always a verse somewhere in God's word that will be applicable in our lives. In Psalm 37, verse 23, 24, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. But when you fall, you will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds your hand. Well, believe it or not, He's delighting in the footsteps of Elijah, no matter what emotional state he's in. Because Elijah knows that he is of God. That's a delight to the Lord. He knows the battlefield. On the other hand, the adversary is no match for the one who sits in the heavens, who's laughing. In Psalm 119, it also says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. All right? Stop and think about it. Let's break that down a little bit. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So if you go astray, you're going to be afflicted? Yes. But then why have a double portion of affliction when you're going to get affliction without going astray? Why double the portion? Right? But on the other hand, in Psalm 119, four verses later, 71, it says, it is good for us to be afflicted so that we may learn his statutes. Well, this is, this is all well and good. This here is all well and good. But guess what? It has to be open. It can't be collecting the dust in the cave of our lives. We've seen dust on Bibles on the outside. What's also a good sign is that when you're flipping the pages, you see dust flying out of it, which is an indication. You say, oh, you've been reading it. Yeah, it's been collecting a lot of dust here on this page. I gave it some time. You know the point what I'm getting across. This is what God, this is, this is our nourishment. This is what the Lord wants us to have in our hearts. Amen? Tea for tired. Oh, no food, no strength. You become tired. Not much to say on that. When you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're, when you're lonely, the most dangerous time to make any important decision whatsoever. Is that correct? Got to be on guard for that. 
got to be careful of those airstrikes of temptation, deflection. And as you, as we journey through life, when we get to know one another, you get to learn to read people's body language. You can, you, you look at your close friend, the tone of their voice, hmm, okay, something's troubling him. This is the posture. You can read someone's posture and say, yeah, I think I know something's troubling him or something's troubling her. If you and I had the opportunity to look in Elijah's cave, you think that with him losing his zeal, you think this would be his posture? Sure would be. You think this is what would be going through his mind? Lord, you seem so far away. A million miles or more it feels today. And though I haven't lost my faith, I must confess right now that it's hard for me to pray. But I don't know what to say, and I don't know where to start. But as you give the grace, with all that's in my heart, I will sing, I will praise, even in my darkest hour, through the sorrow and the pain. I will sing, I will praise, lift my hands to honor you, because your word is true. I will sing. Lord, it's hard for me to see all the thoughts and plans you have for me. But I will put my trust in you, knowing that you died to set me free. But I don't know what to say, and I don't know where to start. But as you give the grace, with all that's in my heart, I will sing. I will praise, even in my darkest hour, through the sorrow and the pain. I will sing, I will praise, lift my hands to honor you, because your word is true. I will sing. Now, isn't that exactly what we experience in our Christian walk at times? Like it. Like our spiritual progress comes to a screeching H-A-L-T, screeching halt. goes from one extreme to the other. Just like it says in Psalm 10.1, it says, Why do you seem so far off, O Lord, and why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or to the other extreme, Psalm 46.1, The Lord God is our strength and our refuge, a very present help in time of need. A very present help in time of need. Does this, does this posture look familiar to you? Can you associate this posture with someone? Well, of course you can. He's here with Elijah. He's here now. And he's on continuously to be on his way with us. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes we don't know where to start. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. But there's four things that we can do. To be still. 
to be silent, to say, and to praise it. Okay, let's continue in God's word, see what the status is here. Beginning with verse 11. So he, the Lord, said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing or a gentle voice. And it came about, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord gives Elijah a simple command. Go to the top of the mountain. But he doesn't. Does the Lord say, uh, he's not coming out, I guess I have to drop the issue. Uh-oh. Not according to what Isaiah 55, 11 says. So shall my word be, which goes forth from my mouth, and will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire. Not what we desire. What I desire without succeeding in the matter of which I have sent. This is a time of Elijah's counseling session. If you and I were to convert the trials and tribulations into a counseling session, Oh, it changes the whole perception of our souls. It really does. Because we're in this time for instruction. Proverbs 20, verse 5. The plants in the heart of a man are like deep waters, but a man of understanding draws it out. Allow me to paraphrase that. The trials and tribulations, the sorrow and the pain, the agony which we go through in the heart of a man are like deep waters. But the wonderful counselor has understanding to draw it out. Isn't the wonderful counselor one of the names given to the Lord to identify who he is? Oh, absolutely. Time for a counseling session. You see, without, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. But in the presence of the wonderful counselor, there is deliverance, there is strength, there is courage, and so on. Isn't that awesome? Was it a surprise to the Lord that Elijah stayed in the cave? Absolutely not. This portion is for our sake. Because the Lord God says, I know you're not going to come out. But you notice that this time, the, the word of the Lord doesn't come. It's God himself. Since when does a counselor come and see the counselee for counseling sessions? The counselor usually goes to the counselor. Oh, no, no, not in this case. Because of his ever-loving kindness, his love, his compassion, and his mercy, and he really focuses on each one of us. He holds everything else up by the word of his power 
And you notice that he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He doesn't ask, how are we doing today? Uh-uh. How are you doing, Elaine? How are you doing, Linda? How are you doing, Carrie? How are you doing? What are you doing here, uh, uh, Steve? What are you doing here, Jason? What are you doing here, Jen? The point of the matter why I did that, I don't have time to do it with every, every one of you, but if you felt uncomfortable, that's okay. But if you can reciprocate that to being in the presence of God of awe, is God on his way? No. He's here now. He's here now. What, are our, what is our mind being occupied with? You can't, walk, you can't walk through life with the lens of the emotional lens. It, emotions have their place. But we have to be careful of the bombardments from the airstrikes of which we are receiving from the adversary. Observe the elements of nature. He used the elements of nature in the book of Exodus too to signify his arrival. You see how precisely those elements of nature take place? It brings no harm to Elijah whatsoever. What fascinates me is the earthquake. The Lord decides, you know, I think I'm going to shake the earth a little bit that I'm coming. But no boulders or rocks fall on Elijah at all, you know. But what does he use? He uses a gentle voice with, filled with milk and honey and nourishment. Through that passage, there is no condemnation, no inclination of condemnation, shame, judgment, ridicule, mockery. It's all the rivers of grace that he's allowing to spill over onto the earth. And if I may say, allow the flood of graces to, if he doesn't take it in, it's going in whether he likes it or not. If the Lord allows it, he's going to do it his way. So he stands before the Lord, and he answers the question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been zealous. Same reply. Same exact words. The Lord didn't say, okay, you've done this, you've done this. No. He asks the question because it helps the counselee to probe the heart. Yeah, what is taking place in there, really? When you probe the heart, now you have exposure. Oh, there's the battlefield right there. That's the airstrikes I'm receiving. So, you and I, we all have the gift of counseling, believe it or not. And you don't have to say a word. And I'm sure you, all of you have experienced this. That when someone shares their burden with you, and you listen, most of the time, you hear them say, boy, I'm happy I got that off my chest. There's a relief. And you know why it's important to do that? Is because it, take, it, take, it gets it off the foundation of fear. It takes it off the foundation of, of um, anxiety. It takes it off the foundation of worry. And it gets placed on the foundation of prayer. And it doesn't it not say in Proverbs 15, 8, it says the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the prayers of the righteous is his delight. Oh. I hope we're not underestimating the power of prayer. Pray, pray, pray and fast. How many times is it said in, in the scriptures, 
Yuna, Yuna, Yuna. So the Lord God knows that Elijah's counseling session is coming to an end. What does he do? Let's find out. Okay. Um, verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Elijah, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshad. You shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abimahura. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he, he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Counseling session's over with. And the Lord gives Elijah an assignment. This time, it's not as intense. Elijah doesn't have to slay anyone. He just goes out and anoints. It's an easy task. But Elijah thinks he's had enough. But the Lord knows all, because no, Elijah, there's more for you to do. But in the meantime, the Lord is answering his prayers. You've had enough? Yep, I'm going to have Elisha take your place. Okay. Number two, he's no longer hungry. Twelve pair of oxen. That's a lot to eat. The other thing, in addition to that, is that Remember he said at the juniper tree, take my life? Well, the Lord does take it. But not in the way that he thought he would. He takes him, he takes him to heaven on a chariot in a whirlwind. The Lord says, see, I told you I'd take your life. But I'm going to take it the way I see fit. And so, Elijah, you have to realize now, Elijah was existing approximately 900 years before Christ. So if he was taken to heaven, 900 years of preparation of the possibility of him being the prophet in the last days, being, being executed during the tribulation, according to a Bible scholar's come to the conclusion, it doesn't come right out and say that, but Elijah's not done yet. But who appears at the transfiguration standing alongside Jesus? Elijah. Is he hungry? Nope. Is he worried? Nope. Can you imagine the cave of the heavenlies that he's been training? Probably this getting a taste of heaven this much, approximately a sixteenth of an inch, looking from a carpenter's point of view, that if it takes just the one sixteenth to be prepared to come back, yeah, let's take on the enemy. Wow. Just like it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that I do not consider the sufferings at this particular time to be, to be worthy to compare to the glory that is later to be revealed to us. You see? Oh. I tell you, it's amazing. And you know, you see how God's hand isn't through all these details, no matter how you feel 
or anything that you may that may crop up. What are you doing in your cave? What are you allowing in your cave to take place? He's the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's who he is. That's what he does. And that we are his primary concern. Nourishment. Make sure that this here is collecting dust within the two covers because when you allow it to collect dust on the pages, that's an indication you've been there for a while. And go ahead, flip that page, raise the dust. Raise the dust.